Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is Yoga Land. Today, Jason is back for another segment in our little mini essential anatomy series. And he's going to talk about the shoulders. So five essential things to know about the shoulders. I told him I'm really impressed that he narrowed it down to five. I think we could probably do 10 more episodes about the shoulders alone. So I think you will really enjoy this one. It's super interesting, especially just after all these years of practice for me to think about down dog shoulders and in down dog is still interesting. Before we get to the episode, there are a couple of happenings that I want to make you aware of. This summer, Jason is offering module two of his 300 hour advanced training online. And that focus for that one is the spine and core. So we've done previous essential anatomy episodes about the spine and core that I will put on the show notes page. And if you want to learn about his training schedule, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash schedule and access information about the anatomy online course, the upcoming module two hybrid training in London. We've also got workshops in London happening in-person workshops this summer that he has just added to his schedule and we'll be doing a free recording a live recording of this very podcast. So you can find information about that at jasonyoga.com slash London. As always, if you want to keep up with us, the best way to do that is to join our newsletter. We add new things all the time. We're very busy and we're trying to get Jason in person more and more this year. It just makes it a lot more fun to be out there with you guys. So if you want to be in touch with us, subscribe to our newsletter at jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. And the last thing I will say is I am currently doing a book club on Libby Hinesley's book, Yoga for Bendy People. And you can subscribe to that and follow the book club at yogaland.substack.com. And I'm hearing from people that even those who are not bendy are finding that they're, and he's going to talk about the shoulders. So five essential things to know about the shoulders. I told him I'm really impressed that he narrowed it down to five. I think we could probably do 10 more episodes about the shoulders alone. So I think you will really enjoy this one. It's super interesting, especially just after all these years of practice for me to think about down dog shoulders in down dog is still interesting. Before we get to the episode, there are a couple of happenings that I want to make you aware of. This summer, Jason is offering module two of his 300 hour advanced training online. And that focus for that one is the spine and core. So we've done previous essential anatomy episodes about the spine and core that I will put on the show notes page. And if you want to learn about his training schedule, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash schedule and access information about the anatomy online course, the upcoming module two hybrid training in London. We've also got workshops in London happening in-person workshops this summer that he has just added to his schedule and we'll be doing a free live recording of this very podcast. So you can find information about that at jasonyoga.com slash London. As always, if you want to keep up with us, the best way to do that is to join our newsletter. We add new things all the time. We're very busy and we're trying to get Jason in person more and more this year. It just makes it a lot more fun to be out there with you guys. So if you want to be in touch with us, 
subscribe to our newsletter at jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. And the last thing I will say is I am currently doing a book club on Libby Hinesley's book, Yoga for Bendy People. And you can subscribe to that and follow the book club at yogaland.substack.com. And I'm hearing from people that even those who are not bendy are finding that they're learning a lot from the book, which I thought that would be the case, but I am bendy, so I wasn't sure. So it's really, really nice to hear that this book is educational, inspiring for non-bendy people as well. I think Libby is amazing. I think this book is amazing. That's why I chose it. There are so many books that I could choose from, and I am so glad that this book is out there because it is absolutely necessary for anybody who feels like they might be on the hypermobility spectrum. And even for anyone who's just interested in learning about the sensory systems of the body and how you can look at your yoga practice through the sensing lens rather than just the stretching lens. It's, it's really good stuff. And we'll just teach you more and more about your body mind process, which is endlessly fascinating to us, right? If we're interested in yoga. So yeah, I hope to see you there at yogaland.substack.com and enjoy this interview with Jason. So happy to have you back, Jason Crandall. Um, I'm happy to be back. Did I throw you off a little bit with that new introduction? You you didn't. New greeting? No. no. <laughs> You're more nimble than I thought you were. I am a professional. Nimble, adaptable, flexible. Oh, not, now you're really... Dynamic, all of these things. Now you're really... Jason Crandall. Flattering me. I am, I am. We should, we should remind the audience we're married. <laughs> I think about this sometimes because I guarantee you there's a lot of our listeners that don't know, especially the listeners that... New new listeners? Yes. Yeah. I guess. We've been married for a long time. I guess you time. don't feel that crackling sexual tension across in, during our podcast. I don't know. And a lot of people don't know about the headstand episode where we got so mad at each other we had to actually pause the... <laughs> <laughs> we had to pause the recording. I can't remember what we were arguing about, though. Um, That's why we, we will talk about it offline. Oh, you remember? Oh, I remember. Well, you're lucky that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, I am. All right. Well, today, get to the topic at hand. We are going to talk about the shoulders yes. and basically five essential things to know about the shoulders. I'm amazed that you've narrowed it down to five. I'm sure there could be could have been 500. Infinite. Yeah. So we'll start here and we will, depending on what you, the listener, requests, we can always extend these episodes on our core areas in the body. Yeah. Okay. So where do we want to start with the shoulders? To me, I happen to be hypermobile, which we're talking about in the Yogaland book club right now, if you would like to join. And so for me, I actually have to work really hard not to, I, w- I wouldn't go so far as to say like s- subluxate my shoulders, but they do pop out if, I, if I'm not careful. I have to work really hard to stabilize my shoulders. Would you say that is common for most people? I would say, okay, subluxation, like actually moving the head of the femur off of the little platform that it sits on within the scapula is not common. You said femur. Oh, did I say femur? You said head of the femur. Oops. Yeah. Humorous. Okay. Should we start that? I one was over? like, "Am I crazy?" No. You just you just did a you just did a moment where you misspoke. It wasn't yeah. like you don't know. You would don't you put think- that? Would you do me a favor? 
Um, would you put that in the mistake journal? Yeah. And we'll talk about it later when we talk about headstand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have many different mistake journals <laughs> of mine. It's like household mistake journal. <laughs> Anyways, you are um, cruising so, toward the relationship. So, okay. mistake so journal let, let's, right take now. A, let's take a step back. Your shoulder is really comprised of four joints. Each shoulder is comprised of four joints. Three of them are true joints. One of them is not technically a joint by Webster's definition, but it is functionally a joint, okay? So let's go over this to answer the question because this is really important. Okay, the primary joint of the shoulder or what we tend to think of when we think about shoulders is where the head of the humerus, not the head of the femur, thanks for catching that, by the way. It's where the head of the humerus attaches to the shoulder blade or the scapula. And this is called the GH or the glenohumeral joint. It's the ball and socket, okay? Then you also have the space or the connection or the joint where the clavicle meets the sternum, okay? Where the breastbone and the collarbone meet. This is the SC joint or the sternoclavicular joint. And then you have the joint where the collarbone, the clavicle meets the scapula, the shoulder blade, okay? And this is the acromioclavicular joint. Those are the three true joints. But then you have another joint that it doesn't fit the technical definition of a joint, but I'm going to not go why that is. But it's where the scapula is affixing to the rib cage. So when we are talking about stability, or instability, which we're going into for point number one, we're really talking about one of those four joints. We're talking about the ball and the socket. We're talking about where the arm connects to the shoulder blade. And I would not say that separations or subluxations are commonplace, but what I would say, and this is point number one, if you are a vinyasa-based yoga practitioner, you should really focus on shoulder strength and stability instead of flexibility. Now, flexibility is really valuable. Do not get me wrong. If you do vinyasa yoga and you love to open up the shoulders, it's all good. But your priority as a vinyasa practitioner should really be strength and stability of the joint. The ball and socket joint, the glenohumeral joint of the shoulder as opposed to the hip, is by nature, not highly stable. It is highly mobile. It is also not typically or conventionally a load-bearing joint. And that's why I'm making this distinction, right? So if you are primarily a yin practitioner or a hot yoga practitioner or hatha yoga practitioner, if you are mostly doing things where you are not putting your full body weight on the arms and shoulders your shoulder strength and stability is probably not quite as important. But as a vinyasa practitioner doing a lot of down dogs, a lot of handstands, a lot of chaturangas, a lot of up dogs, we are loading the shoulders with our body weight all the time. And because that joint, especially the ball and socket joint, is more mobile than it is stable, when we treat it like a hip, meaning we put all this weight on it, We need to make sure it's really strong 
and really stable because of the specific demands that we place on it. So in answering that question of yours, a priority should absolutely be to maintain strength and stability of that space for sure. Are we going to go into some ways to do that in this podcast or should that be another one? I think that should be another one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Point number two I see on your outline here is I think your absolute, if you want people to take one thing away from your teacher trainings, it's this one. Um, no, it's locust pose is the answer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This Actually, is number two. This it, is in the top okay. three if, for a, sure. Everyone, here's how to pass the 300-hour exam. Locust pose is the answer to question one, and it depends is the answer to question two. (laughs) Two through 20. Yeah, that's it. Um, Okay. This is really important. This is something that I hold near and dear to my heart, and I'm just going to say this. This was like, I felt like such a contrarian, a correct contrarian, but I felt like such a contrarian for so long communicating the following to my students, but I see this more and more and more and more and more being talked about, which is this. Do not pull your shoulders down when you are raising your arms. It doesn't make any mechanical sense. And even the cue itself, like on the face of it, if we take a moment, it just literally doesn't make sense. And I want to appease everyone for a moment, unless this like, this can be difficult or frustrating and you feel bad about yourself. I told people to pull their shoulders down when their arms were overhead for over a decade, okay? This is just one of those things that we often say, we often don't even know why we say it, and technically, it just isn't very correct. I'm going to talk through briefly why you're not really pulling the shoulder down when the arms go overhead, But then I'm also going to address the concern about excessive tenseness or excessive tension in the levator scapula and upper traps and a better way that we can communicate that to our students. Okay. Okay. So what did we just say a moment ago? That the ball and socket is the primary shoulder joint, the glenohumeral joint. And what did you correct me on when I misspoke? I said femur. But really, I meant to say humerus. And what is the humerus? The humerus is the upper arm. So just bear with me. Your upper arm is like a dominant part of your shoulder. So if I'm just referring to shoulders, where is the upper arm when the arm is overhead? The upper arm is not down. It's up. So your arm, because it is a major part of the shoulder is clearly not going down when the arm goes up. Like it's a very dissonant thing. The shoulder is going up when the shoulder is going up. And a little bit more of a nuance. When the arm goes above about 90 degrees, it can be lower than that. It can be greater than that depending on morphology where our bodies are all a little different. But at about 90 degrees, when the arm goes above 90 degrees, the shoulder blade has to come with it because at about 90 degrees of elevation, the upper arm and the scapula become paired. Okay. They become, they couple against each other. The humerus actually runs into the scapula. They like form a link and all additional movement of the arm above 90 degrees 
happens from the scapula doing what's called lateral or upward rotation. So the scapula, when the arm is raising, the scapula has to laterally rotate. Part of lateral rotation is actually elevation. So lateral rotation or outward rotation or upward rotation, I know it's confusing, but it's the movement that the scapula makes. Part of that action is protraction, meaning the scapula is moving away from the center line. But another part of that action is the shoulder blade is actually lifting up. So the humerus and the scapula are definitely raising when the arm is raising. There is, there is, what would you say to people who say, and white? What would you say to people who say, okay, the outer border, this is what I used to hear. I don't think I hear this as much anymore. The outer border of your shoulder blades go up, the inner border of your shoulder blades go down. Totally correct. Okay. However, as actually this, it's actually not totally correct. It's close to correct. The entire shoulder blade has some elevation, it has to. The outer shoulder blade is turning up much more and the inner shoulder blade is turning down much more, okay? But here's the thing, here's the trick that's so confusing to pretty much everybody. Unless you have a really dialed in understanding of technique and anatomy, that's really hard to understand. As a yoga student, I had no idea what that was for over a decade. As a teacher, I had no idea what that was for well over a decade. So here's what I think we can say to our students, because if I told you, because if I'm telling my students to draw their shoulders down or to pull their shoulders down when the arms are overhead, it's not because I'm an idiot. It's because I believe or I've been told that there's a reason to do that. There is theoretically a reason to do that, which is what are we really concerned about? We're really concerned. Like why are are hunching up toward the ears? Yeah. We are concerned that if we're not pulling the shoulder blades a little bit down or the shoulders down, that the sides of the neck, that the upper fibers, the trapezius are engaged too much. They're Mm -hmm. too tight. Mm -hmm. They're overworking. That is a legitimate concern. So that's what we can instruct. So when you're reaching the arms overhead, you can tell people, gently soften the sides of the neck. Gently draw down along the sides of the neck. Because the shoulder, we just have to be much more specific. We just have to be much more specific if we're going to give the cue. The other thing that I, I give this example all the time, just imagine for a moment that you were going to reach for something that was slightly out of reach, like our window shades. Would you pull your shoulder blade and arm down while you are reaching for something that's out of reach? You would not, because that's not how the body works. The shoulder blade is a movement multiplier. The shoulder blade is mobile, and one of the things that the shoulder blade does is elevate. That's not a mistake. The shoulder blade can lift... Because there are scenarios where the shoulder blade should lift, which is when you're reaching the arms upward. So you can either just content yourself with, well, reaching the arms really high towards the ceiling is actually a normal human movement and it's okay. That's number one. Or number two, if that concerns you that it's too much for people's sides of the neck, then cue them to relax 
relax the sides of the neck, soften the sides of the neck, or be even more specific, relax your upper trap slightly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't, I just got to ask. Yeah. What is like your concern with people saying, pull your shoulders down? It's actually really dangerous for the shoulder because if you are pulling the, if the shoulder is in full flexion, meaning if the upper arm is completely up and you pull strongly down, you are increasing the compression between the, the, what's called so the- So it can uh, cause an impingement. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's a huge risk for impingement. Mm-hmm. I would actually say pulling the shoulders down while the arms are overhead is more likely to cause- ongoing shoulder issues and flow practitioners than chaturanga. Everyone that does vinyasa yoga all the time and has a shoulder issue thinks it's from chaturanga. It may be from chaturanga, but if you are strongly reaching the arms up and like pulling the shoulder blade down while reaching the arm up, you you are squeezing two parts of structure together that can be really easily irritated And you can create not just irritation from that joint compression, but that is a really good way to injure the supraspinatus, which is part of the rotator cuff. And also the one of the acromion bursa in there. So let those shoulder blades float. When you reach the arms up, let the shoulder blades float. If you're going to be there for a long time, let the shoulder blades float, let the arms reach and ever so slightly soften the sides of the neck. Okay. So let's talk about preparing the shoulders in different ways. Yeah. When we're working with our shoulders in yoga, we're often, we've already spoken a bit about the key importance of strengthening the shoulders for weight bearing poses. Like we do so much in vinyasa based yoga. We just talked a little bit about not pulling the shoulders down when the arms are going overhead, or at least just trying to clarify what we're trying to get across in that in that cue. But now what we can think a little bit about is point number three, which is that different backbends benefit from or require different shoulder openers, okay? So any shoulder opener you do in preparation for a backbend is probably a good thing. You're not going to get it wrong because it's a good thing to lengthen and release excess tension in the upper extremities anyway. So this is not something you have to be super neurotic or uptight about. But if you're you're really looking at backbends and the shoulder position in backbends, there's two primary categories. There's backbends where the shoulders are in flexion, right? Backbends where the arms are reaching up and overhead. So examples of this are upward bow, Viparita Dandasana, Ekapada Raja Kapatasana, Natarajasana, where the arms are going overhead, those arms up and overhead backbends, right? So that's full flexion backbends. And the, the opening requirement is pretty different for those poses for the, from the other major category of backbends which are the shoulder extension-based backbends. So the shoulder extension-based poses are things like bridge pose, poses where the arms are going down and back behind you. So for example, bridge, 
regular bow, camel pose, those postures. They're very different demands on the shoulder joint, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's let's look at the shoulders down and back. So the bridge and bow family, if you will. The main muscular source of resistance in the shoulders for these postures is the front of the shoulders and chest. Like these are the ones that I think benefit from what people I think would conventionally think of as a heart opener, right? Where those arms are going down and back, you're opening the front of the shoulders and chest, you're stretching, you're lengthening or stretching the anterior deltoids, the pec major, right? Like all those things like interlacing the fingers behind you, those kinds of actions where you're stretching across the front of the shoulders and chest are really ideal preparations for the shoulder extension back bends. Okay. But they're actually not that relevant for arm overhead back bends. They're not wrong. Do you got me get me wrong? So if you are doing a back bend sequence and you're going to focus on arm overhead things like Ordvidzanyarasana, you can totally stretch your chest. But the chest is not usually a limiting factor for people in Ordvidzanyarasana. There's because the because pec major has to be woefully tight. I'll put it this way. Most people in Urdhva do not feel a stretch in the front of their chest. They feel demand and stretch in other places, but most people don't get a big stretch in Urdhva because it doesn't really stretch the pecs or the anterior deltoids much. Mm -hmm. In fact, the anterior deltoids are working in a short position, not a long position. So for arm overhead back bends, you don't really need to spend that much time, quote unquote, opening the heart, like not across the front of the shoulders. You actually should spend much more time doing the opposite of that. So we we were just talking about this, which is when the arms go overhead, the scapula laterally rotate. So they upwardly rotate. The shoulder blades move away from each other and up. So one major source of restriction for arm overhead backbends are tight middle fibers of trapezius and tight rhomboids. Because when those muscles are tight, it's really hard for the shoulder blades to protract and lift Mm -hmm. they need to do. So it's counterintuitive, but things like cat pose, things like, eagle arms, like things like that stretch and round the upper back and make space between the shoulder blades are really good shoulder preparations for Ordvadanyarasana. Another thing that I think is really key is I think that a lot of people, as again, we're not talking about the whole body, we're just talking about the shoulders and back bends. A major source of resistance to the shoulders going up overhead are tight lats. And you don't stretch your lats by stretching across the front of the shoulders. If I'm doing like a classic front of shoulder stretch, I'm ten- I'm tightening my lats. I'm shortening them. So I love side bends as preparations for arm overhead back bends. It can be standing side bends, recline side bends, like any kind of side bend because those are the most effective poses to really stretch the lats in. Mm. You also need to have more flexibility in your triceps because tricep 
one of the things that a tricep does, like we know the tricep straighten the elbow, but another thing that triceps do is they they pull the arm down and back. Hmm. So the trice, the triceps, also, not all of them, but at least one, uh, two of the triceps pull the arm into extension. So for like a camel pose type thing, you don't have to have any flexibility in your triceps. The triceps are engaged and working short, but arm overhead back bends, the triceps need to be lengthened. So I think those are really big keys. Bottom line, if you're going to do a bunch of different backbends of different styles, do a bunch of different shoulder openers. But if you're going to focus a little bit more on bridge and bow and camel stuff, focus on opening up the front of your shoulders. If you're going to focus on arm overhead backbends, focus on lengthening the back of your shoulders and the sides of your shoulders. Will you do some sequences for the blog that will show? If people are really nice. Let's do that. Yeah. If okay. people are like post this on Instagram and they're some, like, we love it. Some brand new sequences. We love it. We love him. He's so amazing. Here's the, here's my, yeah. So in exchange for validation, you'll do some sequences. Anything for validation. Oh, okay. I, validation and like a free lunch. I would do almost anything. Those are the two things yeah. that get you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get to the next essential thing to know about shoulders. So we're going to talk about different rotations of the shoulders in down dog. Yes. This is, I think, super important. And I feel like I am going to try out for a job right now at the United Nations as being like the top diplomat okay. to the yoga world. All right. <clears throat> People have pretty strong feelings in down dog about either externally rotating the arms or internally rotating the arms. Really? Yo, totally. People like to internally rotate. Yeah, the- you be careful. That Judith Lasseter is one of the main people, and but it makes sense. So there, there is a strong feeling about internally rotating or externally rotating the okay. humerus in down dog. Right. Now, let's pause on this for a moment, okay? What I want to throw out there to everybody is I have decided I will, in fact, I will, in fact, do those sequences you've asked me to do. Okay. But what I want instead of validation or a free lunch is I want people to experiment with what I'm about to talk about because you really should test this, especially if you already have a strong feeling about it. Okay. Oh, I'm going to throw out one more thing that people say, which is to internally rotate the forearm and externally rotate the upper arm. Okay. But that's actually just external rotation of the humerus. So we're just talking about the humerus. So some people have a strong feeling about externally rotating. Some people have a strong feeling about internally rotating. I am going to be the peacemaker here. I'm going to step across to both sides of the aisle. Okay. And I'm going to advocate for both depending on how one's shoulders work. Here's why. Here's the case for external rotation. Externally rotating the arms in downward facing dog tends to decrease the possibility of glenohumeral impingement. It does so because it rotates 
the greater tuberosity or the greater tubercle of the humerus a little bit away from the acromion arch. It just turns it in a way that tends to press those surfaces less against each other, okay? So people that tend to really like external rotation tend to like it just honestly because it feels better. It feels less pinchy. Does it feel, if you internally rotate, does it feel pinchy? Yes. Okay. So if it feels pinchy and awful when you internally rotate, but it feels like a relief when you externally rotate, that's probably because the rotation is turning the humerus bone in a, and making it into a little bit more of a comfortable um, coupling with the acromion. Yeah. Okay. It's also, I mean, honestly, if I were to internally rotate, the head of my humerus would pop. Down. We're going to take this offline. Okay. And the reason being is I actually want to, I want to experiment with you with this. I a hundred percent believe you, but I want to, I want to see, I want to experiment with. Okay? okay. Okay. So now let me make the case for why internal rotation works really well for some people and why I don't want to put words in our mouth, but why people like Judith Lasseter and a few other advocate for internal rotation. Okay. Again, it's all situational. And that's the point. The main point I want to make on this is I think everyone needs to experiment a little bit, if only to reconfirm that the way that they're doing it is best for their body. That's fine. Okay. With your hips, there is much more muscle allotted to external rotation than internal rotation. There is just more cross-section of muscle in those hip joints that externally rotate than internally rotate. It's not even close. The opposite is the case for the ball and socket. There's much more muscle that is given to internally rotating the arm than externally rotating the arm. Mostly you externally rotate the arm with two of the four rotator cuff muscles and they're small muscles, but you internally rotate the arm a little bit with pec and lat. So there is more muscle that is given to internal rotation than external rotation. So for many people that have hypermobility in the shoulders, internally rotating the arm gives more stability to that connection. Essentially, you're green lighting more work. You're turning more stuff on. So here I think is the experiential difference. Number one, People tend to have a preference one way or another because it just feels better. Number two, typically people that like external rotation find that they like external rotation because it's not as pinchy or as congested or as crunchy. And they don't like internal rotation because it pinches right away. That's both of us. However, people that like internal rotation tend to, when they internally rotate, not get that pinch and they feel way more connected. They feel way more strong and that is likely because they're turning more on. Hmm. So I would stay away, I would stay miles away from one needs to do X or one needs to do Y. Experiment. Hmm. I'm going to I'll say one, I'm going to say one more thing, which is 
I haven't brought him up in a long time, but as I worked with Paul Roach, a shoulder surgeon for a really long time, I asked his opinion about this all the time. And he would just be like, it does not matter. It does not matter if you internally rotate or externally rotate. Just experiment. It's like it's according to comfort. What matters is how far you flex and that you let the scapula move with you, that you upwardly rotate the scapula. But it, it, internally rotating or externally rotating, those are like really open-ended variables that you could just experiment with. Okay. Yeah. So follow your own cues, essentially, is what yeah. you're saying. Just go, do, go with what feels better in your shoulders. Yeah. And again... We're, we tend to be very biased towards either externally rotating or internally rotating. So if you haven't made a game of this in a while, if you haven't like really tested this out, test it out. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Last point. Um, Similar. Okay. Your hands do not need to be shoulder width apart in down dog. They can be wider. Your hands do not need to be shoulder width apart in Urdhva slash upward bow slash wheel. You can take those hands as wide as the yoga mat or wider. I think one of the things that from my experience and education that I feel fortunate about is I realize how many of the things as yoga teachers we say as mandates, like it is, you have to do this. How many mandatory things that are said are actually not mandatory. They're totally arbitrary. So I'm going to tell you having the hands shoulder width apart in down dog is totally arbitrary. Having the hands shoulder width apart in Urdhva Dhanurasana, arbitrary. There's a good case to be made for shoulder width apart in both of those poses. And, yep. the, and the case is this. It's easy to define, and it gives you parallel lines. Yeah, it's symmetrical. It's symmetrical. It's easy to define. Everyone can see it. You can do it. And parallel lines, they're like, they're good force vectors. Yeah. But there are some variables for people. When people have tighter lats or people have a little bit more of shoulder pinch, impingement without getting into all the kind of the nuances of this, or when people have much more muscle bulk, much more hypertrophy or stiffness, taking the hands wider than shoulder width apart, for some people as wide as the mat, is so sensible because it's a more effective angle for loading the shoulder joints when the shoulder joint have more restriction. And it's not quote unquote cheating. If you're trying to run a marathon and you're totally ill prepared for a marathon and like you're bailing out at mile seven, you're not quitting by next time running a 10K. Like that's not cheating. That's doing the appropriate thing that meets the moment, right? So it's the same thing. Technique needs to meet the moment. And so if taking the hands wider than shoulder width apart doesn't give you any mechanical advantage. If you don't need to do it, don't do it. Shoulder width apart is great. Right. But if shoulder width apart doesn't, if it feels, if you feel stuck or restricted or if you feel pinchy or the elbows are bending or splaying or there's some, there's something happening where the pose isn't quite fitting your body, take those hands wider. 
And I can almost guarantee you it's going to, it's going to feel better in your body, right? So again, those, the parallel quality of shoulder width apart is really nice, but it is not mandatory. It is somewhat arbitrary. And, and my, my impulse or my motivating, um, variable here is to get people to experiment yeah in in and not experiment with random things i'm not i'm not asking like just do anything anyway and it's whatever but these are very simple ways for many people to be way more integrated in their postures yeah yeah absolutely i think this gives people a lot of action items to work through and i have an action we have an action item for you which is to do a couple sequences to go with this episode and I have an action item for the students. Module two is coming up. London is coming up. Online anatomy trainings here. So let's all do our action items. Okay. Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. As promised, Jason will create some new sequences that I will link to from the show notes page. So there'll be those blog sequences that we've done for a long time. They're really helpful. You can print them out. You can put them next to your mat. Love to see how you like them or let us know. And I'll link to those on the show notes page, which is yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 299. And I'll also link to all of the offerings that we have online and in person coming up. Hope to see you soon. Until next week, enjoy your practice. 